just want to say, when it comes to talking about gifts of the Spirit, um, you, 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 at some point you've got to deal with the whole thing about, because this is where the attention is today. And I know this is, I kind of mentioned it early on, but this is where everybody's like mind is, and this is what gets all the press. And obviously it was a problem in Corinth, because Paul has to give a whole chapter to it, right? The whole thing about what is the deal with tongues? Um, and I just want you to know that people in our church are all over the map on this, Okay? And so what we want to do is we want, to, we want to make the essentials the essentials, okay? And you don't have to dot every I and cross every T exactly like I do. I mean, on things that aren't major issues, you've got the right to be wrong if you want. Amen. Um, there are some who have taken what the Bible teaches about these things and gone way beyond it. It's kind of like the Bible's kind of like the springboard and just, you know, take off from there, right? Okay. And then there are those of us who, in reaction to that, um, have gone beyond, beyond what the Bible says by denying the presence of these things altogether. Okay, really? Yeah, we have. We have. So, so we've got, like, all these extremes. So in other words, there is, I believe, error in uh, embracing more than what the Bible says. You can get off track. And uh, then there's error of not embracing as much as the Bible says. And it's amazing what happens when we just take what the Bible says and let's just see what it says, all right? And we'll just go from there. I think that's just a pretty simple thing to do, and I don't know why more people don't get excited about doing it. But I've got good news that God's Word contains... I mean, there's a lot of controversy on this, a lot of emotion on it, probably more emotion than anything, but... Uh, God's word contains everything that God intended to say about this matter. Yeah? I mean, God's not up in heaven saying, wishing like, man, I wish I'd have been clearer because people get all mixed up on this. He's not like, oh, no, they're so confused. I wish I could go back and, and add this and clear that up and, or, or just wait until the second edition of my Bible comes out and I'll fix this. God's not saying that. God said what he meant to say and... Um, there is, uh, obviously, when it comes to scriptures, it's there, and there is a lack of hard and fast clarity um, when it comes to this issue. Obviously, if that's the case, I think it was intentional. If God left it that way. All right? So follow me on this. God wants us to be open to anything that he chooses to do in this area. But he leaves us some clear parameters so that we can know when it's him doing it or not. Because, as I said, a lot of things that people claim, the Lord led me this, or the Lord told me this, it's more them than it is the Lord. And just like we talked about this morning, if we're not careful, even in our acts of ministry and service, it can be more us than the Holy Spirit. If it's not, if it's not motivated and actuated through love. Okay? Uh, so um, we're going to get into the text here. We're going to look in Acts also. But there are two schools of thought when it comes to this. What? First Corinthians 14. We haven't read it yet. Okay. Um, so um, there's two schools of thought when it comes to this. All right. So I'm just going to give you a little technical stuff here. Ready? All right. So if you're taking notes, which you're probably not anyway. There are those who are cessationist and those who are non-cessationist. Is that good? I think you can kind of get the idea of what that means. There are those who are strict cessationist and they believe that all of the sign-type gifts, whether it's tongues or miracles or anything, 
anything at all have totally ceased with the passing of the apostles and the completing of the New Testament. And I'll kind of show you kind of where they get that. Uh, but they just like nothing. There's no basically supernatural really anything that's going on today. Um, and then there are non-cessationists who believe God still works in these miraculous ways. And those fall into quite a few categories. And we actually fit into one of those. Um, although among our, the national association that we belong to, you're going to find, I mean, you go to church to church and you're going to find all kinds of different everything. Okay? So you can't just say we're, we're one thing. But I can just kind of tell you where I'm at and, uh, and where most of us are. Um, some think that all of these things that we're going to talk about with all these miracles and tongues and all that, that these things are not only in full operation, but it should be normal for every Christian to do all of these things just like the apostles did. And if you don't, then you really don't have the Lord. You're not saved. You are something. You need to get with it. All right? And then there are others who think these gifts are in play, but not experienced by everyone. And then there are those more in line with, with us who believe that there is no clear indication of Scripture that these gifts have ceased in entirety, but it is clear that most of the ways that they are being used today or not used today are not really biblical or helpful. Was that a mouthful? Okay. So we start off here, and we, we didn't finish chapter 13 this morning. We're going to do that, Lord willing, next week, where he says, after all of this, he says, you know, you guys are zealous from chapter 12, and you desire, desire the best gifts, but what you need to do is to pursue what? Love. Pursue love. If you're going to seek anything, if you're going to go after anything, pray for anything, it's that you might have the love of God flowing through you. Pursue love. Don't miss that. That's like, boom. Uh, and desire spiritual gifts. You can be zealous for spiritual gifts, but what you need to pursue, what you need to be actively going after is love. But he says, but especially, if you're going to, we're talking about spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. And if you missed it, you can go back and listen to it. Uh, it's online about this whole thing of prophecy doesn't just indicate telling the future. The word means to speak forth, to speak forth the word of God. Obviously, now that God's word is complete, he's not giving us new truth that he hasn't previously given to us, because if he was, that would be adding to this, right? Now, the book of the measure of scriptures is closed. We're not to add to it or take away from it. And so basically, uh, and prophecy involves speaking the word of God in, in specific situations and in specific areas where it applies and having words of wisdom and words of knowledge to apply that in those ways. It's amazing where people will come out thinking, you know, um, you know uh, whenever you've shared a scripture or a lesson or a message or something, it's like, man, you, who talked to you? Who told you? You know, and, and, and we didn't. You know? Have you ever experienced that? I experienced that all the time. Um, even when I'm preaching, no, kidding. But um, anyway, so he says, especially that you may prophesy. For, listen to this, in verse 2, he says, For he who speaks in a tongue, and the word tongue is the Greek word glosa, and it literally means that organ in your mouth, but it's used to indicate language. That who speaks in languages does not speak to men, but to who? To God. Why aren't you speaking to men? He's going to tell us, because nobody knows what you're saying. You're not speaking to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, 
He speaks mysteries. You don't know what you're saying. No one else knows what you're saying. But this is between you and God, obviously, is, is what he is indicating there. So let me give a definition here. The word tongues means languages. And it is when a person in the Bible supernaturally has the ability to speak a language that they have not learned. Uh, the original occurrences in Acts involve specific languages that foreigners there present heard and understood, and they're even named. Now, in Corinthians, it seems to indicate something a little different. Paul's dealing with something that's happening that's a little different than that. Uh, it, it, he's indicating a form of prayer and praise where you express to God in a language you do not understand. See where it says that you're speaking to God, not to people? And so that's kind of something Paul seems to be uh, indicating there. Now, the primary passage for this, where does this come from? Well, now I've had people come to our church and they say, you know, the Lord's really opened my eyes to something. You know, they might say I've had a revelation. When they say that, I say, well, did God reveal new truth to you? He said, no, no, I mean, the Lord has illuminated my understanding to previously reveal truth, right? <laughs> you know how we get those words mixed up. That, you know, I grew up in a situation. We've had people grow up to where you don't even mention this word or they get scared, right? And they just squash anything the Lord tries to do. And then we have people that's grown up in places to where, you know, from where I grew up, it was like, I would imagine that every time the gospel was presented in Acts, this happened. And every book that Paul wrote, every church he talked to, this was the main thing he probably wrote about. And then I get in the Bible and I find out it's only mentioned three times in Acts. Only three times. And then out of all the rest of the New Testament, there's only one book, only one letter that even mentions it, and it's 1 Corinthians. And even there, it's only mentioned in chapter 12, 13, and then chapter 14, and then it's never, ever even mentioned again. Ever. It, it, and so somebody said, I, I, I can see why you don't talk about it very much. It's because the New Testament doesn't really talk about it very much. And so I want to give attention to what the Bible gives attention to. And so um, the lack of teaching on it in the Bible is surprises some people. But when the very first occurrence of this, in this sense, is in Acts chapter 2, as you're well aware of, that on the day of Pentecost, which Pentecost was a feast of the Jews, and um, you're going seven weeks plus then the, the next day, which is the first day of the week, uh, after the Sabbath from the Passover, they're counting forward, the Feast of the first fruits, all of that. And this is a feast that they've been having. But Jesus said, you don't go anywhere. He's already been resurrected. They have their faith in him. He says, you're not going to go anywhere. The church is, there's a transition taking place. Because you see, the way God dealt with people in the Old Testament is different under the law than it is under grace. The way God dealt with people before uh, the flood was a little different. You know, God's standards haven't changed, but God's manner of dealing with this. If you're into Bible study, that's called covenant theology, or maybe you've heard this word, dispensationalism, different dispensations, okay? Um, so there's a transition that's happening here, and he says, you're not going to go anywhere because you can't do this on your own. I am going to come to you, and the gift of the helper, the Holy Spirit's going to come. We've talked about all that. Well, it happens right here on the day of Pentecost. The church is born. It starts among Jews. What did Jesus say? That you're going to be here until the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and when that happens, what are you going to become? Well, what are you going to receive? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, what are you going to receive? Okay, let's go back. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then what are you going to do? You're going to be witnesses to me, Jesus said, in Jerusalem, in Judea, that's where all the Jews live, and Samaria, and then to the 
uttermost are the ends of the earth. So that's what's going to happen. That happens on the day of Pentecost. They were all in one accord. That wasn't a small Honda automobile. They were like in unity, okay? That's old, I know. And then suddenly there's a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And Jesus already used the wind to compare to the Holy Spirit. You can feel its effects, but you can't see it, right? That's just one of the ways. And, and said there appeared uh, divided tongues of fire upon each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. In verse 5, and there were, and I'm in Acts chapter 2, were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So this is a time of feasting. And even though these people were Jewish, many of them had been scattered. And they could speak some Aramaic. But many of them, that wasn't their natural language. They spoke all kinds kinds of languages and dialects and it's very important because it says that there were devout men they were god-fearers from every nation under heaven and when this sound occurred the multitude came together they were confused they heard this they were drawn to it it says this they were confused why verse six because everyone heard them speak in his own and guess what he changes words here he doesn't word use the word glossal he uses the word dialectos can you figure out what that probably means since Yeah, exactly. Not only did they hear it in their language, they heard it. So that means if we'd have been there, if I'd have been there, there'd been somebody up there saying, now y'all won't tell you what. Here's what, (laughs) you know. It would have been right there in our own hillbilly dialect. And I think that's, that's amazing. And so, that's, and so no wonder, verse 7, they were amazed and they marveled. And they said, aren't these all Galileans? I mean, and Galileans were kind of like lower class, working class people. They're not educated. There's no way these guys could do all this. So they were amazed. They knew something was happening. And look, verse 8, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, our own dialect, once again, in which we were born? Our natural dialect, we're hearing this. And it names them right there. Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judah or Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya uh, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. They were amazed and perplexed and said, what could this mean? And then there's others saying, oh, they're mocking, they're full of new wine. Which, by the way, new wine in the Bible does not mean grape juice because how could you be full of grape juice and be that drunk? Huh? Um, I mean, you just think about grape juice, and when you have no refrigeration or canning, how long can you keep that stuff fresh without it fermenting or rotting? You know, about a day, okay? So the new wine was stuff that was stored and wasn't um, fermented properly, and it fermented fast, and the alcohol content went up. So that's what they were saying. You guys have been drinking strong stuff, and you're drunk. And it's like, okay, um, all right, you... And basically, let me give you the hillbilly interpretation of what Peter says. You guys are idiots to say that. Because whoever heard of getting drunk and you could automatically speak in the dialect of someone else. See, you know, it just shows you how that people who are not believers will just stick to any excuse no no matter how weird it is. And so this is what happened. Well, then that's the gospel, and it spreads there and in Judea. And then finally, the the next occurrence of it doesn't happen until chapter 10. Now, in between there... Um, you're going to find that Philip, who was one of the seven chosen to serve, had gone out and started evangelizing, and he had gone to Samaria. And then while he was in Samaria, he began to preach, and people, and he proclaimed Jesus to them, and a lot of people came and heard, and they began to believe, and there was joy and all of that. And um, then later, you remember, everything has to be tied to the apostles and tied to Jesus. 
because there's no New Testament. So that's why then Peter goes down and Peter sees what's happening and that they have truly believed and that um, he uh, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And they did. Now, does that mean today you've got to wait until some pastor comes and puts his hands on you and prays for you to receive the Holy Spirit? Well, if that were the case, that would be the way it always happens. It would be consistent, would it not? And there's no mention. They may have spoken in tongues, but it's not mentioned there. The next time when that happens is, so we have Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, and then Samaria. Then now you have the uttermost parts of the world. The Gentile world is coming into play. In chapter 10, you know that whole story in Acts chapter 10 where God gives Peter that vision where there's all kinds of animals. He's sleeping, you know, he's like hungry and he's having this vision of these, all these, these animals coming down, you know, and this, and this thing. And, and, and the Lord says, get up, kill them and eat them. And he's like, man, those are some, you know, there's, there's some things on there we're not supposed to eat, Lord. He says, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God said, don't you call what I call clean, unclean. And God was giving him an object lesson, right? And this happens like, what, three times? It went up, and he woke up like, whoa. Lord, what are you trying to tell me? About that time, there's a knock at the door. Isn't it amazing how God works? There were three guys that were Gentiles that had been sent by God to find him. And it's like, whoa. But guess what? They were Gentiles. And Peter's got to be thinking, wait, they're unclean. Oh, wait a minute, what did I just hear? Don't call anything that I say is clean, unclean. God has always, his purpose was always the gospel and salvation be for the whole world. Even the Jews were to be a light to all nations. When they dedicated the tabernacle and the temple, that they were to be a light for all nations. And they didn't really do that. But guess what? That's what the church is going to do. And anyway, and Peter goes there, he meets these people, they're Gentiles, Jews aren't supposed to even consort with them, and then in verse 34, he opened up his mouth, he says, and the truth I perceive God shows no partiality, and he goes on and he preaches the gospel, verse 43 says, to him, talking about Jesus, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins, look at verse 44, while Peter was still speaking, so you've got Peter, one of the apostles, again while he's still speaking the holy spirit fell upon those who heard this is the second time uh and that heard the word and even those of the circumcision uh, who believed were astonished so there were jews who went with him they were astonished as many came uh, all those that went with peter there because the gift of the holy spirit poured out on the gentiles also and one way they knew that was verse 46 they heard them speak with tongues and magnify god and peter answered how can he and so so he didn't have to lay his hands on them and they hadn't even been baptized yet because the next thing he says can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the holy spirit just as we have they're just as saved as we are and did you notice he said just as we have So I take it that everything that happened with this happened exactly like it did with them on Pentecost. Because had there been any difference, because he says just like us, it happened just like it did when we. If there had been any difference in it, can you imagine what the Jews would have done? They'd have been like, you know, well, we're the main ones and you guys are like secondary, right? But God did it in a way that there was no difference at all. And so, like, this is like the big opening of the gospel to the Jews. Opening of gospel to the Samaritans. Now, the opening of the gospel, the grand opening, and you have this big event that happens uh, for, for all the Gentile world. And they hadn't even been baptized yet. You know, and, and, then, and then we've got people who say that you can't really truly be saved until you're, like, water baptized. But here, before they're even water baptized, they're saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, just like the others, uh, the Jews. 
And so uh, that's happened. He stayed there and was with them for a while. So I take it that probably there were distinct languages spoken. It doesn't go into detail. It doesn't tell us any more information, just that. Well, then all of the towns that when Paul and Silas and Paul and Barnabas go out, all of the towns they go into, it's never mentioned as people get saved that they, they have to do these things a certain way and all of that. Uh, it doesn't go into detail saying they had to lay their hands on them to have the Holy Spirit. They didn't mention anything about speaking in tongues. The only other place it's mentioned and then it's left in the Bible history in Acts is in chapter 19. And that's kind of a weird situation because it happened that Paul comes to Ephesus and um, that while he was there, he found some disciples. So going around, he finds these guys and, and, and obviously, as you look at this story, Paul recognizes there's something wrong, right? There's something not right with their situation. So he asked them a diagnostic question. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you see what their answer was in verse 2 of Acts 19? So we haven't even so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? Paul knows there's a problem. What's the problem? I'll tell you what the problem is. These guys weren't saved. How do I know that? Because he said to them, into what were you baptized? So Paul's trying to figure this out. Something's not right. And guess what their answer was? Do you see it there? John's baptism. What does that mean? They were baptized by John the Baptist. They were, and the message that John the Baptist preached was that the Messiah's coming. It was a message of repentance. To repent and get ready. And that's what they were still preaching. It's amazing. They had spread. It's kind of like, you know, in some of the old movies and TV shows, the old, uh, you know, in the 60s, like the old uh, Japanese soldier that's on some island. Remember on Gilligan's Island the time that that Japanese soldier washed up? He didn't know the war was over? Oh, and he locked them all up in these cages. And Skipper goes, how did you learn to make these? He said, movies? American Pixel movies, all those John Wayne, right? Remember that? Yeah. Okay, so here's guys that were under John the Baptist teaching, and they hadn't heard about Jesus, who he is, and that he had died on the cross, and that he had been resurrected, and the promise of the Holy Spirit. They hadn't heard any of that. That's why Paul says next to them, next, he says to them in verse 4, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying, People should believe on him who would come after him. I want to tell you who that is. He says, that is Christ Jesus. Boom. They didn't know. They were preaching a message of repentance. But it was then that they should believe on the one who would come after him. And I'm going to tell you, that is Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, now Paul did do this. It's connected to Paul, connected to Christ, right? This isn't some willy-nilly thing. This is the only other time that this happens. It says, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And there were 12 of them. And so this is kind of a, a unique situation. You don't read of that happening in Thessalonica. You don't read of it happening in Philippi. You don't read of it happening uh, in any of the other towns. So, so there, there it is. Okay, so that's all you have in the book of Acts. Doesn't leave us with much, does it? That is it. That's all. And so just based on these stories, some people will take that situation in Acts 8 and say, well, you can't receive the Holy Spirit unless some anointed pastor lays his hand on you. But that's not consistent, is it? Because in Acts 10, that's not even what happened, right? Uh, and so forth and so on. 
so back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So you have to be careful about building all your doctrine in the book of Acts because it is a time that there's transition taking place. So that gives us a foundation. We come back to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, and he goes on in verse 3, and he says that he who prophesies, he says, I want you to especially seek to prophesy uh, because who, the person who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, uh, but to God. Nobody understands him. Verse 3, he who prophesies speaks edification. Now, edification means something that encourages and builds up. So if you're prophesying, you're speaking edification and exhortation, uh, or you're building and to comfort to men. So that's why it's better. It's better because it builds up, it exhorts, it comforts people. All right? The other, nobody knows what you're saying. So he's comparing them there. Now he says this. Now I wish you all spoke with tongues, but you know I wish you had every spiritual gift that was available to you. I wish that you. you know, I, I wish that you had everything that that is available. And so remember, the main object of his teaching here is we're all part of the body of Christ. Gifts are tools that God uses to build the body. And Paul is. It is for more intimacy with the Spirit, more interaction with the Spirit. There's nothing he says about your interaction with the Spirit that I wouldn't desire you to have. In other words, I wish you had every spiritual gift known to man. I do, but even more. But mostly, here's what I wish. I wish that you prophesied. For he who prophesies and speaks forth the Word of God is greater than he who speaks with tongues. And that's not what you hear in some circles at all, at all. He says... Unless he interprets that the church may receive edification. I, I don't know what you're saying unless somebody tells me what you're saying. Then I can, I can be blessed or convicted or built up by it. Uh, and so that's just, I'm just simply giving you what he says here. Then in verse 6 he says, but now, brethren, if I come to you. So he's going to give a couple of examples here of why speaking the word of God is better. He says, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what profit, what shall I profit you? In other words, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what good is it going to do? Unless I speak to you by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching. Unless I'm revealing to you the word of God, and I'm preaching it, and helping you understand it. And then he goes to say, verse 7, even things without life. It's a flute or a harp. He gives a musical instrument. It says, when they make a sound, unless they make, uh, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how are you going to know what's piped or played? I don't know that song. I don't know what you're, I don't, you know, if I were to get up on the piano right now and take off, you're going to be like, I have no idea what you're doing there. That makes, that, that doesn't even sound good. It doesn't sound like any song I know, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so then he says, well, like even a trumpet, you know, in those days they got out there and they had certain tunes that, you know, that they blew the trumpet and it meant either to, to assemble or to attack or to retreat. And said, if the trumpeter makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? You know, the soldiers are all there, and they hear a... And they're like... Everybody's looking at each other. You know? Uh, And so, he says, so likewise. So, I'm just giving you an example here. So likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, and preachers who try to use complicated words to make themselves sound smart, and people who understand them aren't doing themselves any good either, right? Comprende? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? Spoken. So basically, you're speaking in a tongue. Here's what he says, for you will be speaking into the air. You're speaking to the air. You're not doing one person a bit of good, is what Paul's saying. Nobody benefits from it. 
Now, verse 10, I'm just bringing out what Paul's saying. Verse 10, there are, it may be, many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. So there's all kinds of languages. Therefore, actually, the Greek word is tongues. So if you were consistently translating it, there are many kinds of tongues in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he'll be a foreigner to me. So, you know, this guy's speaking, and his language does mean something. And, and what you're speaking may mean something, but it doesn't mean anything to me because I don't understand it, right? Um, you're talking to the air and to yourself and to God, because I, but speaking with an unknown tongue, you don't even understand it. Only God does and no one else. But he says, using this as another example, uh, he says, even so you, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, verse 12, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek. Seek those things that, that build up others, okay? Verse 13, therefore let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Why? Because it's going to be best if you do, because then we'll know what's being said. Verse 14, now a lot of people think this is just primarily for my prayer life. Okay, Paul says that that doesn't say that that doesn't happen. Paul doesn't say that that doesn't happen. But here's what he does say. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. So that may happen. And in my spirit, I'm praying. But he says, my understanding's unfruitful. I'm not even benefiting by knowing what's being prayed. So that's what Paul says. Um, I can give you an example of, when, in 99, when we were in Brazil, and this was right before that church service where I preached and did such an amazing job, and you told me, you know, be sure you don't go so long with it, you know, and, and don't, because the guy has to repeat everything you say and translate it, because none of them understood English, and, and Kurt uh, Holland was uh, uh, translate, interpreting my tongue, right, uh, to those people in Portuguese, and so I get about halfway through, and I look back, and what would you have thought? If you looked halfway back, it's kind of dark in this old building, and I saw Clarissa going like this. You've heard this story before, some of you. I tell you what, it upset me. Afterwards, I got done, and we were out there, and I said, how dare you do what you did? She goes, what, what? I said, you know what you did. What, what? I said, you, you just about quenched the spirits what you did. I mean, I wasn't even 15 minutes into that. And what? And I said, you know what you did. You were, I looked back there, and you're doing that. She goes, I did not. I said, I saw you. And I turned to Kurt, and I said, did you not see it? He goes, I'm staying out of it. And she looked at me with the most puzzled look on her face. I was truly hurt because I thought, you know, if I'd been going 30 minutes or so, I understand that. But it was not. And she looked down, and she had a, a, a necklace with a pendant on it, and she took hold of it and slid it back and forth. And, and just while I was talking, she was just kind of sliding that pendant on her necklace. But from where I stood, it looked like she was telling me, cut it off, buddy. See, that's a great illustration of how you can have communication problems in, in marriage, right? And sometimes you need to just clear them up. And then I'm like, oh, that's so funny. And it's still a funny story. It wasn't funny that day, but it's fun. it was funny at the end of the day. But anyway, but what I was going to say is before that, I gathered with several Brazilian pastors and leaders in that church. And they gathered around, and we gathered around like us, and we were all arm in arm, and they're praying. They're praying in Portuguese. And so after, they prayed a long time. They weren't worried about time like we are over there. Praying, praying, you know, and all of a sudden my arms are like going numb, you know. 
It's like, okay, Lord, I know I love these guys, and I know that they're praying and loving you and thanking you and all of that, but come on. And then it finally came to Kurt, and I was going to pray last. And I was just kind of bored with the whole thing, tell you the truth, even though I could feel the fervency coming from them and, and, the, and the unity. And Kurt stopped me and says, I just want you to know something. Every one of these guys has been praying for your family and your kids and for Hartville and for your church. And that's all they've been praying. Well, I broke down in tears. See, but without him interpreting, it didn't even, their prayer didn't impact me until he finally did. And, and that's, that really helped this come alive to me. So anyway, that's a good illustration that I think about. And so verse 14, he says this, Paul says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What's the conclusion then? Here's my conclusion. He says, I will pray with the spirit, but he says, when I pray, I will also pray with the understanding. I know what I'm saying. He says, I will sing with the spirit. So you've got to have the spirit part, the spirit move part, however that is. But he says, I also will pray, will sing with the understanding. Otherwise, here's the thing. When you're together with people, he says, if you bless with the spirit, How will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he doesn't understand what you say? I couldn't say amen to those guys' prayers because I didn't understand what they were saying until I was told. And so then he goes on, he says, for you indeed give thanks well. Now that may be what you're doing if you're praying in the spirit and you're praying in a tongue. You may very well be giving thanks. Um, But he says, but, verse 17, but the other is not edified. Anyone, no one else is, is, is built up or edified by it. And then verse 18, he says, I thank God I speak with tongues more than you all. I love that. <laughs> you have to read Corinthians to understand that a lot of these people really attacked Paul and his authority as an apostle. And if you've read it, First and Second Corinthians, you see he spends a lot of time having to defend what, who God called him to be. And he actually led them to the Lord, and now they think they're above him. And so he's kind of like, for the record, I've got you all beat. I speak in more languages and more tongues than all of you. And that's when I'm not writing Bible or taking trips to the third heaven or bringing people back from the dead with my hanky. So even if you speak with the tongue of an angel, I've got you beat. Right? And so verse 18 then, but look at verse 19. Yet in the church... Yet in the assembly of believers. So here's what Paul's going to do in church. In the assembly of believers, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others than 10,000 in a tongue. Uh, 10,000 is the highest real number in Greek, and it's often meant to signify infinity. You know, in, in Revelation, it talks about there were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. That's trying to say infinity. So sometimes 10,000 was the highest number that they would use. And so basically he's saying, I would rather speak five words that you can understand than an infinity of words in a tongue that no one could understand because it doesn't do any good. He's saying, I'm the most gifted, but he's saying, look how I'm using my gifts. I'm using my gifts to serve and to build up others. So essentially, here's what Paul's saying. In the assembly, this really doesn't, he says, I, in the assembly, I am not going to speak in an unknown tongue. Now, I'd rather speak five words than 10,000. 
Why? Because I want to build up others. I'm not going to say anything unless it is interpreted, unless it's easily understood what I'm saying and what it means. So it doesn't seem here in this passage that Paul permits being unintelligible in the church because it doesn't do anybody good, is the teaching there. Now he goes on to say in verse 20, he says, do not be children in understanding. So obviously there's some immaturity there. But he said, now in malice, you know, and all that, you know, being mean, be, be, be immature. But, but in understanding, don't be. Be mature in understanding. Now here's what I want you to get. You, you guys aren't getting it. You aren't understanding what this is all about. So now he's going to say, let me give you some deep teaching. Are you ready for it? All right, here we are in verse 21. In the law it is written. So he's going to go back and quote the only scripture that's already been written, and that's the Bible, the Old Testament. And he goes to Isaiah 28, verse 11. Now, in the context of this is where he says, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me. He kind of puts that passage together in a quote. And during that time, Isaiah is preaching, and guess what? The people of Judah are not listening. And so God says, you won't listen to me when I'm speaking clearly to you, but here's what's going to happen. You've rebelled against everything that I've tried to do. You're going to have to to listen to people with what they call stammering lips, people that you don't understand. You're going to hear. You're going to have to listen. They were about to be captured by the Babylonians, but it was a sign. So Paul says very clearly in verse 22, therefore, what does he say? Tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Now, what unbeliever? It says tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. What unbelievers? It's very careful here that we know what unbelievers he's talking about. Because then later he says, if the church comes together in one place and everybody's speaking with a tongue and there comes in someone who's an unbeliever or uninformed, they're going to think you're crazy. So it can't just be regular unbelievers. Who are the unbelievers he's talking about? Well, who was that passage written to that he just quoted? To the Jews. So basically he says it is a sign to unbelieving Jews. It's the natural understanding. That's what he means. Because otherwise it wouldn't make sense for him to say when unbelievers come in, they're not going to take it as a sign. They're going to take it that you're mad, you're crazy. So it was a sign to unbelieving Jews that, guess what? The gospel was not just for them. It was for the whole world. You remember the Tower of Babel? When man tried to do his own thing without God, God confused the tongues. God confused the languages. And here at the beginning, of the, and, and, and as people separated, they lost the truth. God finally separated out a group of people, and in the Hebrew tongue, he began to give them his word. And now guess what God is doing? God is undoing what happened at Babel. God is bringing all languages and all people groups back together as one in the gospel. As people separated and this group of people that could understand each other kind of moved off by themselves and they began to intermarry and interbreed. It's kind of like, you know, with cattle or with dogs, certain features became dominant. And over time, some, certain people got darker and certain people got lighter and certain people, you know, had more red hair. and something. It's a whole genetic study there as God separated people out by the languages. But guess what the gospel's doing? It's bringing languages together. The gospel is for every language and, and, and the gospel is for every people. It's a sign to the Jews of that. That's part of what he's trying to bring out here. Because you jump forward to Revelation 5. What do you see there? You see the throne of God, and you see a great throng of people. It says, from every tribe and every tongue. Every tribe, every people, every tongue. Together in heaven. 
Babel. Everybody separated. Here, together. Acts chapter 2 is like a signpost or a mile marker on the road to this. This right here is what we're shooting for. We're to get the gospel. It doesn't matter their, their background, their, their anything. We're all one in Christ. We're one, one family. And note this. It's a sign. It was a sign of judgment to the Jews. Uh, uh, it's not even really a positive sign to the Jews. See, because signs can be positive or negative, right? Um, I mean like the ten plagues. Were they signs of liberation or signs of judgment? Well, it depends on whether you're the children of Israel or whether you're Pharaoh, right? And so to the Jews, tongues was a sign of judgment. To the church, it was a sign of the gospel spreading to everybody. Uh, So they are positive in the sense that the Gentiles um, is a positive sign. The Gentiles get the gospel. And, and uh, but yet it's a sign of judgment against the Jews that they had that, that this this whole new frontier of the gospel is open to everyone, and that's part of what he's trying to get across. This is the purpose, and that's why he says if the whole church in verse twenty three comes together and everybody's speaking with a different language of the tongue and nobody's interpreting and telling what's being said, and somebody that is uninformed or a, an unbeliever, this would be a Gentile unbeliever come in. Will they not say that you're out of your mind? And he says, but if all prophesy. And an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in. He understands what's saying. And guess what? He's hearing the word of God. He's convinced by all. He's convicted by all. And as the word of God is applied to his specific life, it says the secrets of his heart are revealed. You know how God convicts you and does that? And it says in falling down on his face, he'll worship God and report that God is truly among you. What? When you're speaking forth the word of God and prophesying. So this is just what Paul's saying here. So then verse 26, how is it, brethren? When you come together, each of you has a psalm, a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, an inter- interpretation. But he says, whatever it is, whatever you're doing, you know, and you can say to us, you all do different things. Some of you are going to sing. Some of you are going to uh, give a testimony. Some of you are going to give a lesson. Some of you are going to preach a sermon. But whatever you're doing, let it all be done to build up one another, not to just strut your stuff and show what you can do. I've even been to Bible conferences where whew, nobody was speaking in tongues or preaching in tongues, but I'm telling you, I, I, this is just a, God forgive me if I'm being weird and judgmental here, but it almost seems like, Daryl, that there's a group of preachers and they're all like, and being a farm boy, I just, I just picture a bunch of banny roosters strutting around, each one trying to outstrut the other one. You know what I'm saying? You're going to get up and I'm going to outpreach you and everybody's going to like me. And sometimes the sermon that God uses the most is the one that's not the best prepared and dynamic. I mean, that's what he's saying. In whatever you're doing, let it be for edification of building, not to show off what you got. So, verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three. Everybody quit doing this. At the most two or three when you come together. And do it one by one. And let one interpret. We need to know what's being said. Otherwise, you're just wasting everybody's time. Verse 28, but if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. So basically, don't tell me that you can't control it. Because Paul says, if no one's there that you know can interpret it, keep your mouth shut. It doesn't, that's, that's, that's kind of the, the Greek and everything. Keep your mouth shut. He says, but this, let him speak to himself and to God. Speak to yourself and to God. You know, I'm not saying you can't have whatever experience God has for you. 
But then he's saying even prophets speak. Let two or three, let the others judge. Remember I explained that earlier that they had to judge because they didn't have the New Testament. And they had to judge one, uh, against one another. Is this what the apostles taught us? Is this what has come from Jesus? Is this what, has anything changed? And it says, but um, if anything's revealed to another who sits by, let him keep, you can't, you, you know what? Don't blurt out, keep silent. God moves on you to say something. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn, that all may be encouraged, and the spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophets. Don't tell me you can't control this. Spirits of the prophet are subject to the prophets. That means you control what you do and what you say. Even when the Holy Spirit's showing you something. Verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. God is not the author. So God does things decently in order. And, um, and then... And then he has to go on in verse 36, because they've challenged his authority. He says, did the word of God come originally from you? Or is it only to you? Are you the only ones that it reached? Actually, it came through Paul to them. Did it not? Verse 36. And he says, anyone, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to are the commandments of the Lord. So, you know, Paul's claiming his authority as an apostle sent by Jesus with his words. I'm getting this directly from Jesus to speak. And says, if anyone's ignorant, let him be ignorant. If you're not going to agree with me and think that the word of God actually come through you, then just be ignorant. And so he says, therefore, brethren, earnestly desire prophecy. That's what I want you to do. I want you to get your biblical priorities straight. I want you to desire Biggest thing is that you may clearly speak forth God's word. But then he says, um, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. But let all things be done decently and in order. Paul's last word, and this is really the last word in the New Testament on tongues, he says, don't forbid. So here's my position. I'm not going to forbid something that Paul said, don't forbid. Okay? But I'm not going to take something... And, and, and run with it away from where Scripture teaches it either. And, and so a lot of people look back in chapter 13 where it talks about how love never fails, that he goes on to say that, um, that uh, where there are prophecies, they will fail, where there is tongues, they will cease, where there's knowledge, it'll vanish away. Now we know in part, we prophesy in part. No one that's preaching or teaching or knowing anything knows everything. It's all in part. And, and we're like a child. And one of these days, one of these days, he says, we're like, kind of like looking through a dim mirror. One of these days, we will be face to face. So none of you are ever going to know it all here. But when that which is perfect come, isn't, and a lot of people say, well, that means the Bible. When the Bible comes, there's no, no any of that. Um, that's not necessarily what he's saying because even the tenses and the genders uh, in, the, in the Greek don't bear that out. But he's talking about when we get to heaven, when I am known, when I know even as I'm known, and I see him face to face, now it's through a mirror, then it's face to face. Okay, so until then, we only know in part and we prophesy in part. And there's times when any tongues fail, prophecies fail. But guess what doesn't fail? Love. That's why you need to seek that and pursue that. Okay. Conclusion. You ready? I knew this would take just a while and I didn't even really feel like doing it tonight. But I'm just trying to, I'm just, have I not just tried to go to the scriptures and just bring out what it says? Okay. And like I said, he leaves a little of this open, doesn't he? But he's just saying, in the church, this is the way. And I borrowed this from another pastor, parts of it. And um, one that I respect very much. First of all, our church services should be characterized much more by interaction with the Spirit than what they are. 
we probably tend to squelch it a little, a little much. Worship service is when three things are present in abundance. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. We're so afraid of violating verse 40, let all things be done decently in order, that we don't allow any freedom. Okay? We need a living God at work in our church. And these spiritual gifts of all kinds show that God is living and full of redemption and full of love. Gifts like prophecy, tongues, miracles. They can authenticate the gospel in someone's life. And they can give help to someone who's struggling. They demonstrate God's generosity, God's power. And they can make the church fear God more. When we see, and we've seen God do miraculous and amazing things that shake us to our core. We need that. And I worry that most Christians function like deists. That is, that there's a God up there that we're going to have to answer to, but we have no interaction with him in the here and now. He just gave us a book of stuff to believe and a set ways of, to behave and a list of stuff to work on while he's gone. And that's almost the way we look at it. Am I not right? You know, we, we, we really, he just gave us this book of stuff to believe and stuff to do, but we really don't have a lot of interaction with him in, his, in, in us and through us. But Jesus said... I'm going back to heaven, but I'm going to come back to you and move in you and through you through the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus said. It's about communion with the living God, living God who communicates his real love to real people with real pain in real time. That's what it's about. Another thing I would point out, so first of all, we're probably not free enough, okay? The other thing is, is that not all Christians speak in tongues. You may have grown up to where, and I've dealt with people in our church that, you know, it's like I was taken up there and I was basically held down. And they were not going to let me up until I did this. And so finally something happened. And, but as I gotten older, I don't even want to go to church because I'm ticked off when I think about that. And you'd be surprised how many people here that that happened to. It's like, you're not getting out of here until this happens, right? Um, but in chapter 12, verse 30, he's talking about all these gifts, and he says, are all apostles? The rhetorical question, the obvious answer is no. Are all prophets? He just said we all have different gifts. Are all teachers, are all workers of, a miracle, or of miracles? Verse 30, do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? The obvious answer is no. Do all interpret? No. So it's not a gift for everybody. And so I think that's one thing that you don't really find the biblical basis that if you don't have that or do that, you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. Um, but the primary purpose of tongues was to signify the spread of the gospel to non-Jewish people. It's not, and it may be this for some people, it's not something you're ever told to seek. He says, seek love and pursue prophecy you you never find anywhere where you're told to seek it uh and and we've had people in our church come to me and say that's all i was told if you don't seek this and do this then you're not going to have an experience with god but let's find where he tells us to do that i haven't found it okay i've just read to you tonight this has been a long message but i've just read to you tonight everything really that the bible has to say about tongues I've read it all to you. Um, and so sometimes people get, you know, I'm not going to put God in a box ever of what he may do. Here's what I do know. 
In the early days, they were speaking in distinct languages, but it doesn't matter what people believe about this. All of their missionaries that actually go and preach the gospel have to go to language school and learn the language. Instead of, you know, Joe Blow over here having some new message from God that nobody knows unless somebody interprets it, why why does a missionary have to go two years to language school before he can even go teach the Bible? I have seen people, I mean, what I'm saying, there are different hues and varieties of these gifts. I've had people in moments of worship and prayer uh, pray in a tongue. I couldn't understand what's being said, and neither could they. But I didn't question, is this really them or for God? Because I knew their heart was sincere. And then I've heard people, I'm just like, oh, Lord, shut them up. You know what I'm saying? And by the way, since prophecy is the greater gift, if you or anybody tries to interrupt my preaching by speaking in tongues, I will shout you down. And I'll tell you you're out of order. Because God said do things in order, and the more prominent gift does take precedence. And he said do things one by the other, right? And, and that's never happened to me. But Clarissa and I were actually in a big conference listening to Chuck Swindoll. You know, everybody heard of Chuck Swindoll? We're listening to Chuck Swindoll preach. And this guy on the front got up and started shouting out. And, and he just kind of went, it was just a, like this. And, and he said, somebody help this guy. And two guys, and it was almost like God seized him up. And he almost went into a seizure and they carried him out of there. And, and it's like the Lord shut him up and, and he left. But he says, you know, hey, I'm preaching the word of God here. Uh, but that was weird. It's never happened to me. But here's the, number, here's the last thing. Seeking tongues is not a sign of spiritual maturity. Seeking gifts that build up others is. Okay? So is it a real deal? Yeah, it's a real deal. But is it probably misunderstood, misused, and everything else today? Probably so. But I've just given you, and, and, and he doesn't go into a lot of detail, but I've given you everything the Bible has to say about it. And so this is something you work out in and through your own life, but you need to do it and sift every experience you have. You saw, has this happened to me? Has this happened through me? Now you've got scripture. You can sift it through to see, is this of God? Is this something? I may be speaking mysteries of God, but, but maybe this is just something God's doing in my life. Uh, but, but how to behave with it and how to handle it and everything else, you have it right here in chapter 14. And I'm so glad he gave us that. And it's there, and it hasn't expired, and it hasn't gone away, but yet we're too emotional to talk about it. Okay? So chill out! <laughs> and worship God! Okay? And, uh, and, and let's, just, let's just enjoy his word. Let's not squelch it, and let's not fake it. Amen?